Hello, Elevate family. How are you guys doing? You good? I'm not Pastor Michael, of course. I'm not Pastor Anthony. Pastor Anthony is out of town. He asked Pastor Michael to preach. And Thursday, 7, 11 p.m., I remember, he calls me. I was playing pickleball with Cassie. Don't judge. And Michael says, I'm feeling sick. I'm still sick because he was sick like in the beginning of the week. So maybe this can be a good opportunity for you to speak since this afternoon is your ordination. You have family. And I say, yeah, sure. Why not? Tag, you're it. And I remember that back then when I ruptured my Achilles a few months ago, he is the one that had to cover for me. So this is me being here and also being happy to share with you about one of the most passionate topics and one of the stories that I actually enjoy sharing the most. Let's gonna talk, we're going to talk about mercy. This word mercy, what does it mean to you? And I hope that by the end of this message, this word mercy, you'll have your own definition that will be a meaningful definition that will help you in your spiritual walk. When I was a young guy, I'm a little older now, it's hard to believe, right? I thought that mercy meant receiving something that you don't deserve. That's what, that's what I, that was what I used to listen. Mercy is receiving something that you don't deserve. And you know, biblically, it is accurate. Up to a certain level, it is accurate. You're receiving something that you don't deserve. But look, March 2024, God willing, I'll be a father. That's crazy, right? If I, now I'm saying it out loud, it's crazy. I don't think there's a father that cares for their son or their daughter that is actually going to say, you know, I'm doing this because you don't deserve it, but I'm going to do it anyways. What kind of father, what kind of loving father will say that to the kid? God will never, ever position yourself as someone that doesn't, that is so low that you just need to receive that is, you just like don't deserve it. That might be true. But as a loving father that he is, he will never ever tell you, do things for you and tell you, you know, you don't deserve it, but I'm doing it. So this is, you'll pay me back at some point. And for me, mercy used to mean, yes, I don't deserve it, but I'll receive it but I don't deserve it. And I'm, I was focusing on the, on, the, on the fact that I was not deserving it. But then I understood that like, something hit my life really hard. You know, when something hits your heart really hard, you start actually analyzing your beliefs. You actually start thinking like, is this actually what I want to do with my life? Is this actually uh, something that I want to keep pursuing? Is, is this something that is worth believing in? And in, in those moments, I realized that I had nothing. And in those moments, I realized that God was not calling me because I was not deserving it. He was calling me because he was loving me. And starting from that position, I realized that my life is my life because God is faithful. 
And mercy started to be connecting with me more about God's consistency because when God is promising, God delivers his promises. I stopped focusing on the fact that I was not deserving, but I started to focus on the fact that my eternal father has so many good promises for my life, and he's so faithful, he's so consistent, that is mercy for me. My father is consistent with his promises, therefore he is faithful, therefore I know that I'm receiving mercy from him. I don't earn it, I receive it, and I gladly accept it. John chapter 5, you have your Bibles, if not, are going to be in the screen, talks about an ironic place. And I'm telling, I'll tell you why it's ironic. Because the name Bethesda, if you read John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the name Bethesda meant something that was totally the opposite of what was happening in that story. Verse number 1 of John 5, it says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Verse number 2 says, not in Jerusalem, but the sheep gate, there was a pool, by which Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porticos. So this place, Bethesda, the meaning is house of mercy. Now think about it. This place, Bethesda, the meaning is house of mercy. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. In these porticos lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, limping, or paralyzed. Verse number 5. No, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. 38 years. Let's pause a little bit uh, for a little bit. In this story, you see that the place where there's a lot of people in pain... There's a lot of people suffering. There's a lot of people with health issues. That place was called Bethesda. And Bethesda in Hebrew meant house of mercy. I don't know if someone was pulling like a bad joke or it was something like that author wanted to emphasize. But if you see the picture that is happening here, you realize that there's a lot of people in pain in a place that was supposed to be a place of mercy. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that at some point and at some level, you probably experienced pain in your life. And probably the question that is coming in your head, that is coming to you is, where is mercy for me? And you can put many labels in your life. You can put many labels in your community. You can put many labels in your church. You can, put that, you can do many things. And you can call a church a place of mercy. But let me tell you something. If Jesus is not in that place, it's not a place of mercy. The moment that Jesus shows up to this place that had the label of house of mercy... In that moment, in just that moment, finally, that place became the house of mercy. And in your heart, you're trying sometimes, I feel, and I feel it because I've been there. You're trying probably sometimes to solve your own situations, to, to solve your own realities. And, and in this situation, in this life, we see that in verse 4, people were in that place because they, they thought 
in that place, they thought that there was something miraculous in the waters that will solve their health issues. You know the tone and the, and the, the way that this was phrased? The author is not necessarily saying that that's what happened. The author is actually saying that this is probably something that most people believe. And if you go to um, Desire of the Ages in page 201, you see that it was a belief, but it was not that act something that actually happened. This, this quote says, so great was the crowd, imagine, try to picture it. So great was the crowd that when the water was troubled, that they were rushed forward. People were trampling underfoot men and women and children weaker than themselves. It was survival of the fittest in that moment. Many could not get near the pool. Many who had succeeded in reaching it died upon its brink. So these people, trying to solve their own problems in the way that Everybody thought that their problems would be solved. Instead of solving their problems, there were actually even some people dying. And I don't know you, but sometimes when we're going through difficult times, and we're going through pain, the first thing that happens to our lives is we try to self-medicate ourselves. You try to solve your own issues, trying to feeling that maybe if you do this, or maybe if you try that, or maybe if you hang out with them, or maybe you, I don't know, that is going to fill your void. That is going to heal your life. That is going to scratch that itch. And you live for another day, and then that's fine. But is it really? These people were living in a place that they thought they were going to receive restoration. But day by day, people were just like thinking selfishly, trying to heal themselves, trying to solve their own issues. But in that process, people were dying. People were dying until Jesus shows up. The Bible says that Jesus looks at the man that has been there for 38 years. And he was laying there, and Jesus knew, verse 6, he had already been in that condition for a long, long time. And he said to him, do you want to get well, do you want to get well? Interesting question. This person's been there for 38 years. A few months ago, I told you guys at the beginning, I ruptured my Achilles, some of you know, and the moment that I ruptured my Achilles happened like this, but in that moment, I realized that I was no longer able to walk normally. And I was in crutches. I was like in an interesting pirate leg. Some of you saw me. Then it was in a boot. But I was just looking for a moment where I could walk normally. So finally, when I was out of the boot, I said, okay, everything's fine. Everything's perfect. And I started to take my first steps. And they were so painful, guys. They were so painful. But time had passed. And I actually was not even remembering how did it feel to walk normally. And I started to feel like, okay, you know, this is normal. I guess this is normal, but it's not normal. It's not normal for me to still feel some tightness in my right foot. It is not normal. 
it is not normal for you to live in pain. It is not normal for you to feel that, oh, I get used to it. And this man, unfortunately, he's been there for 38 years. And the response to Jesus is not like, hey, yes, I want to feel better. Hey, I want to feel well. I want to get well. This person replies to Jesus, verse number seven, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred but up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. This man didn't understand that Jesus was in front of him. And in that situation, he thought that the only way that he could get healed, the only way that he could get restoration was his way or the way that people thought that that was the way for them to get healed. How many times when you're going through difficult times, how many times where you are strolling, how many times when you're in pain, you feel that you know the way how to fix yourself. You feel that you know the way how to heal and how to feel better. But you, let me tell you something, your father knows you more than anybody, even mo mo more than yourself. And your father knows what is better for you. And you know Jesus had the question there, but also Jesus had the answer. And sometimes we feel that we have the answers to all the questions. And we need to fix all of our problems. That we need to get all the concepts right. That we need to put our effort. Because this person said, you know, first, first Jesus, I'm alone. There's no one with me. No one for me. Everything's a free for all when the water starts moving. Everything's a free for all when, when someone wants to get healed. No one thinks about others. They think about themselves. You know, selfishness, right? You want to get the bigger piece of pizza before anybody else gets it in this situation this man is saying i'm alone no one is there with me number one and number two i'm unable to perform better than others because the moment that i want to get there someone else already performed better and jumped there probably jumped and drowned your life it's not a performance, my friend. Your life is not a routine. You're not a machine. God didn't just create you for you to get good grades. God, did, God didn't create you just for you to just feel better and, and, and just think that you're better because you have a nicer car, a nicer, nicer shoes, and I don't know, nicer hair. I don't know, you call it whatever. You are not a product of performance. This man, unfortunately, was believing the lie that he was already there 38 years, that he was not strong enough, that he had to perform, that he had to do something in order for him to feel better. But he had to do it himself, and he had to perform and do the thing, the right thing. How many times we, we believe that lie, that we have to do something? How many times do you believe that lie, that you're not good enough? But as Pastor Anthony said last week, it is a lie. And you call it for it. You call a lie a lie. Because your eternal father does not see it that way. When you go in the Bible and you see in John 5, Jesus goes to that person's place. And he himself shows up. And he asks him the question that says, do you want to get well? And then, well, this question, this word, get well, is more it's more than just do you want to get well physically. This word is used for a balanced general well-being. Sometimes we look at our situations for things that we feel that we lack. 
we choose to see our lives as a glass half empty? And Jesus in this moment was asking the question, do you want to have a restored and meaningful and purposeful life? Because maybe your life won't get better if you get rid of your immediate issue that you're having right now. And maybe there's going to be a point where this immediate issue is going to be ongoing for so many years. I'm not here to preach you this gospel of prosperity that if you, if you believe enough, everything's going to be good. What I'm telling you is everything will be for your good. There's not moment, there's not issue, there's not situation that cannot be used with, from God in order for his name to be glorified. And I'm telling you here that this man was believing this lie, but Jesus does not give up on this man. Jesus does not give up on you. He shows up there, and this man didn't even have the right answers. This man didn't even have the right mentality, and Jesus was not giving up on him. What makes you believe that Jesus will give up on you? Next verse, the, the, Jesus isn't even engaged with that and declares freedom in the life of this person. John 5, 8, Jesus says to him, get up, get up. Jesus says to you, get up, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. The floor is no longer your place. You don't belong here. Get up and walk. And the Bible says that the next verse, immediately, immediately, praise God, immediately. Repeat after me, immediately. Immediately, the man became well. And he picked up his pen and began to walk. Now, it was a Sabbath on that day. It was a Sabbath. You know, Sabbath is a day of rest. But Sabbath is a day also that declares God's kingdom of, over everything else. That man became well. The man became restored for, because the question was, do you want to get well? It's not do you want to walk. Do not see your life only as the immediate issue that you're having right now. God restored the life of this paralytic man in every single aspect. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? He's not only thinking about the thing that you're struggling right now, he's thinking about in general, in every single aspect of your life. And that, my friends, is mercy. Don't focus about the fact that you may or may not deserve it. It's never been about that. Your Father provides to you. Your Father provides and he's faithful. 1997, a few years ago, for me at least, 1997, a few years ago, I was five years old, so do the math, that's a picture of me, 1997, holding the mic, so the first thing that happened to me when I look at that microphone and the picture is, did they have wireless microphones back then? Because I thought it was so long ago that I thought we only have a corded microphone, that's how my media pastor mentality goes, but back then, I was five years old, and I 
I was going through a, an interesting contest. It was a memorization contest. And we were supposed to memorize the Psalm 23. So I remembered that every single morning I was just reading my Bible. I was, and I was just at five. I remember somehow like I, there were big letters and I was reading Psalm 23 and, and repeating it. The Lord is my shepherd. No, I was actually speaking Spanish. Jehová es mi pastor, nada me faltará. And I was just repeating all the verses over and over and over and over again. And it became like, for me, like an interesting journey on how God provides. Somehow I won that contest. In the next picture, you're going to see that I won a, a, big, a big box of markers. And for me, it was the big deal because when you were a kid, you only had the the 12 count box, but that one was a 36. I got a 36 count of colored markers and a duffel bag. I was so happy for that duffel bag. That was my, my uncle presenting the, the gift to me. And I just remember that back then, the last verse, my friends had something, something that I didn't understand until I put more, more attention to it. This verse says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, I, I knew the words, and I thought that follow meant that God was walking with me. But actually, if you read that word follow in the original language, that word Radath means a relentless pursuit and chase. So no matter how hard you try to run away from someone, that word follow is you're chasing someone and not letting that someone go. And in the Old Testament, this word is used actually a lot in war. When the Israelites were marching and chasing the enemy for victory, they were not letting the enemy go. And this became a really powerful word for me. Because can you imagine you trying to run away from God in any way, in any circumstance? And can you imagine God never stopping to chase you down? He's going to chase you down. He's going to get you. Mercy is there running towards you. You cannot unround mercy. You cannot unround Jesus. He's there for you. He's not just tagging along. Even in the moments where you think you're just so far from God, that word follow means that He's relentlessly pursuing you and being faithful and being consistent and being present. This brought a different meaning of mercy in my life. Mercy is not something that I not deserve. Mercy is something that comes from the love of God. And when mercy is chasing you, you cannot get too far because God has you. He is with you. He is for you. And finally, your life can be a house of mercy because Jesus is there. I want to invite you.
to pray with me. Because in this story, we see a life of a person that had pain for a long time. But God was faithful. I want to invite you to pray over every single situation that you're going through. And give it to God and let God's mercy chase you. Let God's faithfulness embrace you. And not just live a life day by day, just as a routine, but trusting in his promises. Bethesda was not a place of mercy until Jesus showed up there. And your life will be a life with purpose and with meaning because Jesus will be living in your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in this morning, we're praising your name and we're thankful for your faithfulness. God, may mercy not be just a word that just means something that we don't deserve and we receive, God, but may this word be a meaningful life, life-changing word where we see that we're faithful and you chase us relentlessly. You don't give up on us. So God, today, we're declaring the truth that we are your children. Thank you, God, for listening to us. Thank you for giving us purpose and life. Thank you for coming to our hearts and for transforming us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.